My name is Aiden, like Dan said, and I, like he said, and like a lot of people say it, they say it too much. I look very young. I know that I look young. Um, a couple weeks ago, we had uh, a bunch of Norton High School students were doing some like testing in the building. And so all week long, we just had a bunch of high school students uh, doing a bunch of testing. And on, on the other side of the building was some Norton faculty, some, some teachers doing teacher meetings. And so there's the students on one side of the building and teachers. And early in the morning, I was walking in the restroom and there was a gentleman walking out and he just says, I hear him say to my, he goes, good luck. He thought that I was taking one of the high school tests. He thought I was a high schooler. I was not. But here's the thing. I, I, feel, I feel like I'm starting to cross the threshold into becoming like an older person. And this is why. And this is, somebody says, no. But this is why. I, my good friend, Mike, he would always come over. We used to play in a band together. We used to do all kinds of fun stuff, technology and music and stuff. So he'd come over and I'd show him my new instrument and we'd play this cool hip new song or he'd show me his new iPhone 2 and all these different things. And so he would, we had this relationship and last week uh, we had some friends over on Monday and I had him over. I'm like, Mike, I got to show you something dope. I got to show you something real, real cool. Come here, come here, come here. So I take him to my backyard and I'm like, see this grass? I planted that a month ago, and now it's very nice and full. I was so excited to show him my grass. I told him, it's a fescue. It's a blue Kentonian fescue mix, not ryegrass. Ryegrass burns up in the sun, as I've learned. So I was very excited to show him my grass. And so I feel like I'm getting a little bit older. We're getting there. We're getting there. I get excited at people's hostas. Do you know what a hosta is? If you don't, you're not old yet. I'm like, look at those beautiful hostas. Those are great hostas. My uncle has some very beautiful hostas. I might go chop them in half, steal some hostas. There you go. If you don't know what a hosta is, I guess that kind of sounds violent. It's a plant. It's a plant. But like Dan said, we're jumping into the series called James. We've kind of been in it for the last couple weeks and just having a lot of different conversations with people over the last couple weeks. Um, So many people say this. I say, "What what are you preaching on? I said, the book of James. They go, oh, I love James. James is the best. And so, so many people like have just such a great outlook on James. And so, Heck, we'll talk about it all summer. How's that sound? We're going through a whole series all summer looking at James. And James is, James is so cool. It's reflective of the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a very practical book with a lot of practical wisdom in the Old Testament. And so it's, it's reflective of a lot of that. It's reflective of a lot of the Sermon on the Mount, which was Jesus's first sermon. And uh, you may or may not know this. Why it's kind of reflective of that is that James, who's writing this book, was Jesus's younger uh, step, half-brother. He was his younger half-brother. Uh, same mom, different dads. Jesus' dad was God, so they had the same mom, so they were half-brothers. And so he's kind of writing this. And what I love about James is that it's very reflective. It kind of causes you, like you can't read James and be like, yeah, I'm doing all that right. You know, you read James and it, it kind of should challenge you and kind of tug at some different things. And what I love about James is that it's very simple, yet it's very profound. Like there's a lot of things on this level that are very profound and kind of punchy in the jaw. And there's, there's very simple things, but there's also so much depth to a lot of what's in the book of James. And so a couple of weeks, Dan kind of kicked off the series uh, talking through the first section of James, which you may or may not be familiar with, but it talks about uh, consider it pure joy when you go through trials. And you're like, that doesn't make any sense. And if that doesn't make any sense, go back and listen to his sermon. I'm glad he did it, not me. But, but it's, it's very powerful. And then what Pastor Jonathan talked about the next week is that as we go through trials, as we go through hard times that don't make a lot of sense to us, our temptation 
is to turn to things to satisfy us that, that we think are good for ourselves, where what James is saying is, don't be tempted by things that are going to distract you from God. Find your satisfaction in God, the only giver of true joy and true peace. And so today what we want to do is we want to continue our conversation through this next little section of James. We're just going to look at eight verses, and there's, I feel like we could do a whole series just on this section. Uh, so we're going to dig into that today, just these, this, this next section. And this is the question I kind of want to keep coming back to, that as we go through trials, as we go through temptations— how does the seed of faith actively grow in my life? Scripture is clear that, that our treasure, the most important thing is our faith in Christ, our hope in Christ and our trust in Jesus and what he's done for us, regardless of all these things. That's how we have joy in trials. That's how we trust him through temptations. And so we want to look at how does the seed of faith actively grow in my life? And so we're going we're gonna to look at just a couple different things that I think are very simple yet very profound on how the seed of faith actively grows in my life. And so there's a lot here, and we're going to race through a lot of stuff for two reasons. And I said this last service, and it's true now. There's a lot in here, and I don't want to keep you all day, but I also have to pee really bad. And so we're going to, we're going to dig through this very quickly this morning. But, but as we jump in, would you, guys, would you guys pray with me? I feel that, um, I feel like there's just a lot in James, and I don't want to get in the way of, of what God would um, speak to us through his word this morning. So would you guys just pray with me as we kind of jump into this? God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful um, that you're trustworthy. We're thankful that you're good. And we're thankful that you don't leave us in the dark, but you, you give us your son. You give us Christ. You give us um, identity and hope and peace and rest. And, and not only that, but you give us instruction. You give us ways to live and, and, and instructions for, for what you call us into Christ. And so as we dig into this this morning, I pray that you would just remind us of your goodness, remind us of um, the hope that's only found in you in our prayers, that the seed of faith uh, would grow uh, today in the light of your word and the light of your spirit. It's because of Jesus alone that we pray. Amen. All right, so you guys can open up this uh, passage in your apps, in your Bible app, or we'll have it up on the screen, and we'll kind of dig into this uh, together today. So James is writing a couple thousand years ago in the Middle East to a bunch of people who, are, who for the most part, were probably Jewish that transferred uh, to, to Christianity. And so he's kind of the head pastor at the church in Jerusalem, and he's writing to people who are Christians who are in poverty and they're in persecution. They're not hanging out on their pontoon boats, smoking cigars. They're in poverty and persecution. This is what he says. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. This is one of those passages, it's, it's very simple, but it's very profound, right? And I love, I love this, that first section that he says, everyone, who? Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I, I got to speak a couple months ago during a series where we were looking at uh, enemies of the heart, and I actually talked about anger from this passage. So uh, if if you think that'd be applicable to you, ask your wife. She'll confirm, and you can go and check that out. But what we're going to do is we're going to camp out in this section of being quick to listen and slow to speak. Can we just say that in kind of that collective church mumble thing together? Quick to listen, slow to speak. He says to be quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. And now to say it to yourself. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. And this feels very—I feel like—I I say this— um, every time, but I feel like I'm preaching to myself. So thanks for hanging out while I just talk to myself here for the next half hour. But this feels so applicable to me, especially the slow to speak part, because I talk very fast. So we'll take that. But I am a verbal processor. 
Like I talk a lot. I'm a talker. Is anybody else a talker in the room? You're a, you're a chit-chatter? Yeah, Dr. Bloom's my dentist. He's a, he's a chit-chatter. I love it. I love it. But we're all, we're all, uh, we all, whether we're talkative or not, this can be something that we struggle with. And for me, Dan, Dan calls it, he says I'm a verbal processor, but he just means that I never shut up. He just means Aiden. Aiden just talks a lot. In high school, my nickname was Donkey, like the donkey from Shrek, who talked a lot. This is true. Which I did realize that may have been my nickname for other reasons, but I think it was because he talked a lot. But there's so much power in this being uh, quick to listen and slow to speak. And I feel like it's applicable for my own life. Primarily being a talker, it leads me to be in a lot of awkward situations. And the most awkward one was probably, well, this happened a lot when I started dating my now wife, Sarah, where I'd kind of just like say a lot of things. I'd verbally process a lot of things that I'm just like, shouldn't have said that. That was dumb. And I can think of a hundred stories and this is embarrassing, but this is true. When, I, when we started dating about eight years ago, um, my, my good friend, Jason, was we were both just like awkward kids, not sure how to date or talk to girls. Anybody else just weird? Yep, meh, your girlfriend thinks you're weird. But we, the girl he was talking to said, if Sarah wants to kiss you, she's going to give you the eyes. I said this last two, like why do we all get quiet when you say kissing? Kiss. She said, when Sarah wants to kiss you, she'll give you the eyes. And I'm like, what are the eyes? What are, you, what are, you, what are these eyes? You got to give me an example. You have a picture, a sample of the eyes. And so the next day, Sarah and I are on a nice walk. It's sunny. It's, we're at the park and we walk in. And I'm, I look over at her and she's giving me what I, what I assume to be the eyes. I'm like, I think those are the, you know where this is going. They're like, I think those are the eyes. And so I'm like, oh darn, I'm caught off guard. And this is what I say to her. Being a verbal processor, not good with my words, I say, I, this is true. I really, I know you really want to kiss me right now, but, but I, I'm going to kiss you on my own time. So, so just wait. Like it was, and somehow we're married. So, so God's real. Miracles exist. We're still married. But I tend to say a lot of dumb things. And whether you're a verbal processor like me and the two people that raise their hands, we're honest. We all deal with being quick to speak, but slow to listen. That we're quick to post our thoughts on Facebook, our two cents on the president. We're quick to say what we think about everything and and our opinions and our thoughts. And we're slow to listen to the hearts of others. We're slow to listen, but we're quick to speak. James talks about the tongue and our words a lot during the whole book of James. Not just this section, but a lot. Because I think that's an important thing. I think he has a lot to say about just like, shh, 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 just just be quiet. For me, I think God says, shut up. Aiden, shut up. I won't say that to you. But I think for a lot of us, and we'll write it down this way, that as, we, as we're reading through James, and in order for the seed of faith to actively grow in our lives, I think what James is saying is that we need to be humble listeners. We need to humbly listen. Not just listen for the sake of being a good person, not just listen so it's good for our brand, but I think there's a gospel depth to this that we need to humbly listen. In verse 21, he says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. I love, there's in Proverbs 3.34, which I said that James reflects a lot of the Proverbs. It says this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And it's interesting because thinking about that, the, the only way in which we can approach God is, is humbly, right? Like if God is this infinite creator, the only way in which we approach him is humbly. If you think about this whole thing that we talk about in church all the time, Christianity, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it requires us to be humble. In order to be forgiven, we must have, we must have done something that needs forgiven, right? 
in order to, to follow Jesus, we gotta trust that Jesus is the way that he knows better than I do. And it's all this talk of we need a savior and Jesus died for us to rescue us. It assumes that there's something that we need rescued from, right? That the, the Christian life, the, what scripture teaches us is that we need to view ourselves humbly. I think that's what James is saying is that in order for the seed of faith to grow, we need to humble ourselves and humbly. Listen, there's a New York Times columnist named Karina Chicano, which first off is the coolest name I've ever heard. But she says this, it's a little bit long, but I think it's really interesting about being humble in humility. She says, we are living in humbling times. People are humbled all over the place. Lately, it's pro forma, possibly even mandatory for politicians, athletes, celebrities, and other public figures to be vocally and vigorously humbled by every honor awarded, prize won, job offered, record broken, pound lost, shout out received, like copped, and thumb upped. To pronounce yourself humbled is to announce your greatness, but also to hedge against any backlash to it. You know, this is, this is what we do when like when we do something that we know is awesome and someone's like, that was great. You're like, no, I'm so humble. Thank you. It was awesome. What she says though is this, it's interesting. She says, it seems worth pointing out though that none of this is what humbled actually means. To be humbled is to be brought low by, or, or somehow diminished in standing or stature. Sometimes we're humbled by humiliation or failure or some other calamity. And sometimes we're humbled by encountering something so grand, meaningful, or sublime that our own small selves are thrown into stark contrast. Things like history or the cosmos or the divine. That there's, there's, something, there's something that kind of hits your heart a little bit about not just, I need to be humble today. I'm the most humble guy I know. But truly being humbled, truly being humbled is, is many times painful for us. Many times it's hard for us to actually absorb the fact, and usually it's in situations that are hard where we're tried or tempted that we find ourselves being humble. And what I think James is saying here is that we need to be humble listeners, right? And so practically, what does that do? It causes us to listen to Christ. It causes us to dig deeper into Jesus. Sometimes we think we're fine on our own, but when the rubber hits the road and things are kind of rough, then then we kind of tend to listen to Jesus. And there's this thing that he's saying where I think he's just saying, just stop and just listen. Listen to the heart of God that he gives us in scripture as we pray. But I think he's also saying, listen as we speak or as we hear and listen to the people around us speak. Listen to the stories of other people. Listen to the hearts of the people around you. And we're going to kind of dig into that a little bit later. But we're going to keep going. Got to get you home for lunch. Verse 22 says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I said that James is very simple, right? Sometimes he just punches you in the jaw. He's like, don't just read the Bible, do what it says. Bam, you're like, okay, sure. And I think that every guy can relate to this, right? Every guy can relate to having directions, looking at them, kind of reading them, and be like, I got it on my own, I got it. And you throw the directions out. Your wife knows what I'm talking about. I feel like this, this has become more and more true for me because my wife and I bought a house a year ago. And so I'm figuring out all these home projects like going, growing grass, which has been great. No instructions. That's very easy. Grow grass. One of my not, not biggest moments was grass growing. However, staining my floors in my house was, was a prideful moment for me. And this is what happened. I was, a, I was a listener of the word, but I did not do what it said. And this is what happened. So we, we closed on this house a year ago. And, and during that weird time between the closing and getting the keys where you're kind of just waiting to get inside, I watched every YouTube video, every Chip and Joanna blog, every Pinterest about restaining floors. 
I was pretty pumped. I was pretty pumped. I was going to sand the floor, stain the floors. I watched every YouTube video. I learned all about how to do this. And I could not wait to get the keys to go in there and do these floors. So we finally got the keys. It was Memorial Day weekend last week. And we were going to go in and do the floors. And so we went to Lowe's. We were looking at all the stains, picked a nice dark walnut. What would Chip and Joe do? What would a millennial do? They'd get a nice dark walnut, right? You know what? I didn't want it to amber. I didn't want it to turn red. But I wanted my floors to be a nice dark walnut color. And there was two things on the back of the can that it said not to do. Two things that were in all cap, bold letters in the back of the, the can. It said, do not drink. Which, who's the guy who's like, I'll drink this, and he ruined it. He ruined it for the rest of us. It said, do not drink this stain. And it also said, this is not paint. Which I'm like, what does that mean? That apparently, this is for free. You can write this down in your notes. It'd be very helpful. Wood floors can only absorb so much stain. You cannot infinitely stain the floors because the pores of the wood only absorb so much. So wake you back up from that fun fact. And so this is what happened. We, we got the keys. We went in. I'm ready to stain the floors. I watched a lot of chip gains. I know what I'm doing. And so we stain the floors, this nice dark walnut. And we look at it. We step back. It turned so red. My floors were so red. I was ticked. And I said, Sarah, you know what we're going to do? We're going to get the rest of that dark walnut and we're going to paint this stuff on. So I just laid it on real, real thick and just covered my floors in this nice dark walnut stain. That stuff was never going to dry. We looked at it and I'm like, oh crap. And for three days, I'm like, nope, still wet. I had to go back over board by board with a rag and some mineral spirits and take all that stuff back. I said, Sarah, you got to go because I don't think I'm going to be slow to become angry or slow to speak. You got to go. And so I, I, was, I was a listener of, I read the instructions. I didn't drink it, but, do not, but I didn't listen to it. And so there's a practical aspect of what James is talking that many times we can listen, but we're not doers. And I think that's very simple and that shows up very practically for a lot of us a lot of times. But I want to keep digging a little bit deeper in here because I think there's something very profound that James is trying to tell us. And so verse 23 says this, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, what the heck's that, and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And so there's a simple aspect that we want to be doers of the word, right? Like, yeah, I want to, I want to be a good Christian. I want to read the Bible. I want to do what it says. But there's something deeper here that I think if we miss, we're going to miss the whole point. I would hate for you guys to come in. We open up the box. Listeners and doers, you guys got it? Let's pray. Go do it. I think there's something deeper here that I want to get to. There's something so much deeper. And so we'll, we'll say it this way. We'll say it this way. And we're going to kind of dive in the deep end, as Dan says. But we must intently look to Jesus. You guys can write that down in your notes. I think it's a blank in there. I want to intently look to Jesus. Because it says that, that the perfect law that gives freedom, if we intently look at it, and continuing it, we're going to be blessed. We're like, well, what do I got to do? I want to intently look into the law that gives freedom. And so this is, this is what we're going to do. We're going to dive deep into this. So Scripture is very clear on kind of where, where we stand before God sometimes, right? It kind of, sometimes we, we come to Scripture and we think we're pretty great on our own, but Scripture is pretty, pretty clear at, in terms of how we relate to God, where we stand. Now, we're made in the image of God. We just sing about the reckless love of God that chases us down and pursues us, and that's the heart of the gospel, but apart from Christ, Scripture is very clear where we stand. Scripture says that no one is righteous, not even one. 
It says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It says that even our best intentions, our good works are like filthy rags. You could say it this way, that the only thing that we bring to the table in salvation, the only thing we bring to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary, right? The only thing that we bring to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. And so scripture is very clear that apart from Christ, we're kind of in a, in a helpless estate, right? That's, that's part of the gospel. But this is what happens many times. I think this is what happens, and I think, I think this is where James is getting at. Is that sometimes we come to that mirror. Sometimes we open the word, we come to scripture, and we come to the mirror, and we think, I look pretty awesome. I look pretty dope on my own. This is, my, my wife experienced this when she first came on vacation with my family when we were engaged. She, uh, she had a rude awakening very quickly on what she was getting herself into. My, my, beach, my beach wear, my vacation wear is not the coolest thing in the world. I got these, these little lime green shorts, still got them. Love wearing them around the house. She doesn't know where I keep them. Got these little lime green shorts and I wore a red flannel with it the whole week. I look like a weird Christmas gnome. I look like a clearance sale at a Christmas store. And that's what I wore at the beach. That's my beach wear. I still have it, sleep in it all the time. But I looked in the mirror and I'm like, you look awesome. My wife's like, you're an idiot. But, but I, I thought I looked awesome. So this is what happens a lot of times though, is that we come to God's word, we look at the mirror and we're like, I'm doing pretty good on my own, really. Like I've worked pretty hard. I paid myself through school. I got the degree and then I worked hard from the business and I got my job and I own my own business and I'm doing great. And Jesus is very nice. All this talk of Jesus dying on the cross for me, he didn't have to do that. He is so nice. Thank you, Jesus. And we don't, we look into the mirror and we just see a pretty great self and we walk away. Some of us come up to the mirror and like grew up in church my whole life, know the whole Bible. Been this 16 Bible studies app of the day. First of the day on the Bible app, five stars in a row, wouldn't you say? I'm doing great. And so we look into the mirror and we see ourselves and we're like, I'm doing pretty fine on my own. I look pretty great. And sometimes we look in the mirror and if we get a little bit honest with ourselves, we're like, uh, maybe, not as, maybe not as great as I think I am as it, as it comes to relating to God. Uh, but I know that I'm better than Kathleen because last week I heard Kathleen say a curse word and I'm not sure her salvation is real. And, and we can compare ourselves to other people, right? We can compare ourselves to other people that we all fall short of the glory of God, but we still measure on who fell the farthest, right? And I think what the gospel says, what the gospel says is that though we're pretty good at measuring these things on our own, God's commands are impossible without Christ. The Christian life is impossible apart from Christ. But this is what happens. When we don't see ourselves for who we really are, and we look into the mirror, we don't take account for before God who we really are. We just look into scripture. We'll read a book like James. We'll look at the Bible and we'll be like, it's just a to-do list. And I, and I think I can do it. Like, this is what we do. Many times this is what happens, for example, with like the Ten Commandments, right? Like the Ten Commandments and the courthouses and all this. Everybody's talking about the Ten Commandments. And so for a lot of people, this is, this is what Christianity is. You just got to do the Ten Commandments, and then you get to heaven. And Jesus is there to like, kind of clap me along, like, do the Ten Commandments, let's get to heaven together. Like, and that's kind of what, like, Christianity, that I would not, I am not going to be any part of that crap. Not any part of that. Because I think the reality of the gospel is so much deeper, but this is what happens. We look at something like the Ten Commandments. We open the scripture, honor your father and mother, do not kill, do not lie, do not steal. You're like, that's easy to do. And we look at it 
And we see it as a to-do list. We just see it as something we can do. And the Ten Commandments, for example, are reflective of God's perfect character, right? Like the Ten Commandments are perfect. They're holy, they're righteous, and they're good. Why? Because God is holy, and he's righteous, and he's good. And God gave the Ten Commandments to the people in the Old Testament, his people, the people of Israel. And he gave it to them because they weren't humbly listening to him. And they weren't intently looking to him. They thought they could do everything fine on themselves. And so he gave them those not to show them his character, but not just to show them his character, not just show what it looks like to be perfect, but he gave it to them. He gives us the Ten Commandments to show us our need for a Savior. The reason he gave the Ten Commandments to us was to show us that we have no capacity to do the to-do list that we can be pleasing to God. You might not believe me, but I think my buddy Paul will back me up. Romans 7 says this. A guy named Paul is writing this. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Heck no. That's a different translation. Uh, he says, nevertheless, I, would have, I wouldn't have known what sin was has it not been, had it not been for the law. For I wouldn't have known what coveting was if the law had said, you shall not covet. We all can relate to this, right? Like, don't walk on the grass. What do you do? You walk on the grass. When it says, do not paint stain onto your floor, what do we do? We just paint the stain right on. When the speed limit says go 60, you go 75. That the law points out the fact that we failed it, right? He says this, Romans 7, 12 through 13. He says, so then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Right? Why? Because God is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Jesus does this. God gave the Ten Commandments to the Israelites, and throughout time, we're all the same way. They're like, you know what? I haven't killed anybody. I haven't committed adultery. I'm really nice to my parents. I don't really need a Savior. And what Jesus does is he shows up, and he says, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say, if you even hate someone in your heart, you've committed murder in your own heart. And he says this to a group of people, and they're probably like, oh, really? And then to the other half of the people, the guys, he says, you've heard it said you should not commit adultery. But I say that if you even look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. You see what Jesus is doing is he's taking the truth of the law, the truth, the commandments. He's saying, we're all in trouble. We're all, I almost accidentally said something inappropriate, but we're all in trouble, right? (laughs) All of us. If we aren't that bad, the, God, the gospel, is, this news of Jesus saving us, it's not that great. And I think that's why a lot of times this whole Christianity thing got its arms chopped off because we're just kind of like, yeah, I guess I, I could use some tips. So I'll buy a nice book to have a good life. But I really don't need Jesus. I really don't need a savior. I really don't need someone who claims they're the way. I look in the mirror and it's fine. And what the law does, why God gave us the perfect law, the Ten Commandments to show us like, you know what, apart from a savior, I really don't know how I can come into relationship with this perfect God. And so so this is what Paul says. He says, in light of all this, you kind of feel the weight a little bit. You're like, "Ah." he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And this is what we're talking about every week. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ 
our Lord. The Ten Commandments, that it represents God's holiness and our inability to even come close. And when we look at it shallowly, when we just kind of look at it, we just see a to-do list. When we read scripture, we just look at it, we just see a list of things to do. But when we look a little bit deeper, when we're a little bit more honest with ourselves and honest with God's word, we start to see our sin, we start to see our need. And if we stick around and we look intently enough into the perfect law that gives freedom, what James is writing about, we'll see Jesus that we intently look to Jesus because it's Jesus, the only one who's completely perfect. Not that he baked the perfect cake or he could do the perfect cartwheel. He could, he help upheld the laws of God perfectly. The only thing pleasing to God is Jesus. The only thing that is 100% satisfactory to God is Jesus. And so Jesus did all that perfectly, took all of our sin and shame and all the crap we do, nailed it to the cross. And then when he died, he didn't stay dead. He came back to life again. And that's a little weird if you stop to think about it, but we sing about it all the time because it's the only hope that we have. And so now, because Jesus was completely perfect, because he buried our sin, buried our brokenness, came back to life, we look intently to Christ and we continue in it, trusting that Jesus is who he says he is. That the only way in which we interact and stand before holy, perfect unimaginable God is because of Jesus. That's why we talk about it all the dang time. It's all about Jesus. And so this section, James is saying, you need to be a listener and a doer. That might be the section over the title in your Bible in that, that, that group of verses, be a listener and a doer. And so for many of us, we talked about what it looks like just to be a doer. You know, sometimes we're like, yeah, I, I got it all together. I can do things myself. I really don't need Jesus. And we're just a doer, right? We don't really need Jesus for anything. Scripture is just kind of some tips. And if that's the case, you just found the stuff that's easy. Because if you really dig into the Bible, you're like, this isn't tips. This is insane. But it all points to Jesus. It all points to Jesus. And so some of us are just hearers, but some are doers, but some of us are just hearers, Right? Like we just listen to the songs. We listen, Pastor Dan does such a good job every week. And, it's, and we kind of stop. We stop at how God died for me. Now that's true. Like I feel like I get teary-eyed up here singing about it every week. And we need reminded of that every week. We need reminded that Christ has died for us every week. But some of us are just hearers and we stop at how God died for me. We don't see how God died for the world. Right? We become storehouses of God's grace. We become storehouses of God's love. We become storehouses of these things. Meanwhile, there's people in desperate need, and we kind of just store it up for ourselves. And this is what, I heard a different pastor say this. I think this is what James means when he says, be hearers and doers of the word. It's kind of like riding a bike, right? This is, this is my bicycle. I brought a digital form of it. This is my, I haven't ridden it in a long time. It's a girl bike. I prefer a girl bike. They just feel... They feel a little safer for their own reasons. But I like riding girl bikes. And, and sorry. But, but what I think James is saying is that being hearers and doers of the word is kind of like two pedals on a bike, right? That when we let that truth of Christ, he was, he's what? He fulfilled all stuff perfectly. When we look intently into Christ, like, man, that's a little mind-blowing. Like, that's, that's some powerful stuff. Like, when we, when we hear that and let it, that soak into us, we're going to ride our bike, right? That when I acknowledge that Jesus died for my sin, I'll actively strive to be Christ-like and live out my salvation. It's the two pedals on the bike. Be hearers and doers of the word, right? 
That when I acknowledge and sing and remember the fact and trust that God has forgiven me, it doesn't stop there. I think about how he's also forgiven everybody else around me and what's he calling me to forgive, right? It's hearers and doers that when I'm, man, it's Christmas time and I'm kind of amazed at the fact that Jesus humbly came to the earth as a baby to serve. You're like, God did that? That's pretty crazy. That as we're doers of the word, we humbly serve those around us. It's like riding a bike. Have you ever tried to ride a bike with one pedal? You looked awkward. That to propel this, this, this seed of faith to actively grow in our life, the seed of faith to actively grow, we got to pedal with both pedals. And I think that's letting the truth of the gospel, letting the reality of looking intently into Jesus play out in our lives. And so what does that look like for it to play out in our lives? I think that looks like religiously loving. You can write it down that way in your notes. I think it's going to look like religiously loving. And why did I use those words? Well, James used them. And this is what he says in in verse 26. He says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues to see themselves. And their religion is worthless. Here he is, back to talking about what you say again. Man, stick a little sticky note on the mirror to just watch what we say because there's so much power. James says that life and death is in the tongue. He talks about this even more. That sometimes we can kind of be self-righteous and, and our words are so quick to destroy. And what he's saying is if you consider yourself religious, yet you're still destroying people with the words you say, yeah, just kind of throw that religion out. Why don't you just kind of a little bit? But what he says, religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from becoming polluted by the world. Man, there's so much more. I think about like self-righteousness and and religion, and some of us think about that as church people, but some of us, our, our religion is how good I am at work. It's how great of a whatever I am. We find our own ways to give ourselves our own props and our own self-righteousness. And this is what's interesting about religion. Usually it's for me. It's not for other people. It's so that I feel good about myself. And so we do very religious things, whether it's a church thing or not, just to feel good about ourselves. And there's not any freedom there. But when we look intently into Jesus, we look intently into the law that gives freedom. I think what he's saying is that we're free to not think about ourselves anymore. Religion that's pure and faultless isn't about us. It's about other people, right? It's interesting that he says that, talks about orphans and widows. Talks about the vulnerable. That what do, what do orphans not have? They don't have, they don't have parents, but what does the gospel say? The gospel says that, that God is our father. That the church is my family. That if I put my faith and hope in Christ, I'm part of the family of God. You know, there's, there's so much power there. What, 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 do, what do widows have? Widows don't have a husband. Scripture says that Jesus is our husband who protects us and cleanses us and presents us before God righteous. That scripture calls us part of the family, right? And we talked about how the, the gospel shows that we're all, all of us are vulnerable, vulnerable, man, that's a hard word to say, vulnerable spiritually. All of us, right? And though there's a, a profound aspect to that, I think there's a simple aspect to what James is calling us to. He's simply calling us to love the vulnerable around us. I love last week we had uh, our, our Give It Away Fair that was kind of kicking off a summer spree, which is kind of partnering with all of our, our local and global partners. We had Rahab out in the parking lot that we partnered with that helps women get out of sex trafficking and out of prostitution. We had 
world relief in the parking lot that helps relocate refugees and give them a second chance. We had a, a guy, Dan Gregory, he's a different Dan Gregory, who's helping with restore addiction recovery. It's offering hope to vulnerable situations. Sometimes we can be storehouses of God's love. We can be storehouses of love, of God's love and grace. All the meanwhile, people are around us starving. You know, we can, we can just be hearers and not doers and stop and not give love and grace and hope and forgiveness to people around us that truly need it. What I think is interesting is sometimes, sometimes we can, be, we can store up material things all the while people are literally starving. This is something that we do as a church every year. It's called Feed My Starving Children. And it's, it's super cool. We're going to do it in the fall. Talk to Pastor Jonathan about it. I don't know if there's a date yet. And what we do is we get together and we pack meals to feed kids. We had some missionaries uh, here a couple years ago. We still keep in, in good touch with them. And they packed these meals as they attended here and they went out to be missionaries and they sent us a picture. They live in the Philippines. They climbed a mountain. The kids were literally eating the same food that we packed. Like, so what does that look like helping the vulnerable... Just cancel soccer practice that day and come pack some meals for some kids. Like, if James was here, I think James would be like, what are you doing? Go pack some meals with kids. You know what I mean? There's just a reality to that. There's a, a simple aspect to that. There's a simple aspect to that, that when we, when we humble ourselves and listen to the voice of God and we listen to the heart of God, and I said this at the beginning, I always feel like I'm preaching to myself in all of this. And so when we humble ourselves, Aiden, when you just shut up and when you look to Jesus, what's, what's Christ calling us to? I promise you, he's calling us to love people. He's calling, calling us to love the vulnerable. If he's not, it's probably not Jesus. It's probably just the book that we enjoy. But if we're intently looking to Jesus, it's going to call us to naturally love the vulnerable. And I want to end with just uh, two stories. Do you guys know how Dan always does this? He's like, I'm going to end. And then it's like another 20 minutes. It won't be. We'll just be 10 minutes. I told you I got to pee. But I'm just going to end with two, with two quick stories here that I think is so awesome. I think it's so rich. I think it's so powerful. That scripture is not just a bunch of tips and tricks, but Dan always says, put color on it. And I want us to talk about two quick stories that we see in the book of Luke. They're one chapter apart, Luke 18, Luke 19. In Luke 18, Jesus is teaching. And a guy comes up to him. The Bible says he's a rich young ruler is his name. It's a pretty cool name, rich young ruler Finn. What up? But this rich young ruler comes up to Jesus. He says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, Jesus goes on to give him, well, Jesus basically says you got to be perfect. Jesus is the only one who's perfect. So Jesus starts to list off some of those Ten Commandments. And I kind of like envision it happening like before, before Jesus even finished the same Ten Commandments, this is what the rich young ruler says. He says, oh, I've, I've done all that since I was a boy. I have kept all that since I was a boy. And so there's this guy, this rich young guy who's got all the material things he needs. It says that he's rich. He's not in need. And he also thinks that he's full of all the perfect things you could do. I almost picture him like smirking as he walks up to Jesus, that he just kind of asks the question just so he can cut off Jesus and say, oh, I've done all that. So this rich, cocky guy comes up and says, what do I got to do? I've got a great resume. I've got a great bank account. What do I got to do? And Jesus basically says, you got to be perfect. And he basically says, I am. And what Jesus says is the one thing that this guy couldn't do, the one thing, this guy was very religious in his own eyes, Jesus says, okay then, go and give away all that you have to the poor. And what this guy does is he walks away sad. Bible says he left sad. This guy walked up to Jesus 
who was doing all kinds of crazy stuff with his eyes focused on himself. And he left sad. And guess what? That guy didn't feed anybody. He didn't help anybody. He left sad and was, was no help to anyone. And then, and then Jesus says something interesting. He says, it's more likely for a camel. Have you been to a petting zoo recently? Camels are huge. It's more likely for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. And as an American, I feel very humbled by that, right? I guess we did talk about humility earlier, so it's interesting to say I'm humble. <laughs> but you feel very humbled by that. It causes you to look inwardly. But then this is what Jesus says next. He says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So he just told a rich guy, you're not getting to heaven. And he goes to, you flip the page to Luke 19. Next section. A couple days later, Jesus is walking into a town and there's a little guy named Zacchaeus. Do you know Zacchaeus? Have you heard of him? He's a wee little man. He's a short guy, Zacchaeus. And it says that he was a wealthy tax collector. We got wealthy guy number two. And this wealthy guy knows that Jesus is coming to town. And so he climbs a tree just to get a glimpse at Jesus. He, which I, I don't think we should overlook because climbing trees is very awkward when you're a grown adult. Have you climbed one recently? No, because you're a grown adult. You plant grass, you don't climb trees. Because climbing trees are weird. You, gotta, you scrape your arm and you got to get your leg up and then you're kind of... So Jesus walks into the town. Zacchaeus climbs a tree to try and get a glimpse at Jesus. And while Jesus is in this town, he turns around and he looks at Zacchaeus with his Jesus spidey senses. He, maybe, maybe he was just the only guy in a tree. So he's like, what's up with the guy in the tree? And he says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. I'm coming to your house. And Jesus goes and he interacts with Zacchaeus. And what scripture says is Zacchaeus invited Jesus in gladly. He invited Jesus in gladly. And I don't know what they talked about as they probably ate funky truckeria together in the middle of Jerusalem. But, but what happens is, is, is Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give away half of what I own. And to everybody that I ripped off, everybody that I cheated out of money, I'm going to pay back four times what I stole from them. It's crazy, right? Like just a chapter ago, Jesus said, a rich person is not going to get into heaven. What's impossible with man is possible with God. And then Zacchaeus has his eyes fixed on Christ. And it says that he welcomed him gladly. The other guy who just looked into the law and saw a to-do list, he just looked and saw what he had to do and he looked at himself and he thought he was doing it pretty well. He left sad and nobody was helped by him. No orphans or widows were loved by that rich young ruler. But Zacchaeus, the person who caused people to be vulnerable by the money he stole, he paid him back four times. I wish Zacchaeus stole money from me. What the heck, Zacchaeus? But it's amazing. But it requires him to humble himself to intently look to Christ. And what happened? He wasn't like, okay, crap, now I got to religiously love. He religiously loved because he intently looked to Jesus. And so we're going we're gonna to close out and invite Ryan and the band to come out. And I'm the music guy here. And so I always say, we, we see you sneaking out. Just stick around for five more minutes. The song's five minutes. Lunch isn't going anywhere. They got plenty of McDoubles and McDonald's. But I just want to, as we close, I just want to let us just pause and just listen. Like, how do you want to leave today? Like, are, do you come into church, whether it's church or it's your job or it's your, your accomplishments or you, what you've gridded through in life and you, your pride is in how much you've been through? 
Whether we come in with all these, our own, our own accomplishments and we look at scripture and we just see it as a to-do list, we just see it as something we got to do and then I can feel good about myself and I think I can please God on my own. If it's all about me, if I'm focused on myself, I'm going to leave, leave sad or at least indifferent. I'm going to leave sad. And you might've walked in this morning and you're like, I'm going to go to church and you sit here and you listen to someone say, do what the word says, son. And you're like, I, I don't think I can. I don't think I can anymore. Maybe you came from a place that's what they said, do what it says. And you're like, I, I tried and then I failed. And I tried again and I failed. And I tried again and I failed. And you know what? Quite frankly, I don't really care, God. And if you come in and you see scripture and you just look at it as a to-do list, something that you can do, you'll leave sad. But if you come in and you intently look to Jesus, which requires us humbling ourselves, requires us stopping and listening, requires us putting our phones down to listen to what Jesus has to say to us, to listen to what the stories and hearts of people around us have to say. And when we do that, when we humbly listen and intently look to Jesus, I think the seed of faith starts to grow and bears fruit. And what that fruit looks like is loving the vulnerable. It looks like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. It looks like these things that shows up by religiously loving other people. Do you want to leave glad today? Look to Christ. Listen to Christ. What is he calling us to? I told you, I feel like I'm preaching to myself this morning. Every time I'm ever up here, I feel like I'm preaching to myself. So what we're going to do is we're just going to close. We're just going to sing a song that just requires us to just look at Jesus, that he's the one that brings hope. He's the one that brings life. That it's his praises that we sing. And when we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God and the graciousness of Christ, I think two things will happen. I think regardless of trials, I think regardless of temptations, I think regardless of doubt, regardless of whatever storms hit us, our faith is anchored in Christ. When I look in the mirror, I see Jesus because I see what Christ has done for me. And the two things that'll happen is I'm going to leave glad. Regardless of the storm, regardless of the trial, I'm going to leave glad because my joy is found in Christ. And people are going to be blessed. The vulnerable will be loved. Maybe in some ways, ways that we don't understand. But we will be challenged and driven to love as Christ has loved. And so for just the next couple minutes, can we just sing this song together and just listen to God as we close? God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your graciousness. We're thankful for your goodness. We're thankful that you challenge us. And we're thankful that, Jesus, you've done everything that we can never do. And we may be in here, we've been clawing to be perfect. We've been clawing to live the perfect religious life so that when we look in the mirror, we can sleep at night. And Jesus, our prayer is that we will look intently into the law that gives freedom. We look intently into a savior who has bought our freedom for us in our place and that we would continue in it. Not only for the sake of joy, but for the sake of of those around us for the sake of those that are desperate to hear a message of forgiveness, that are desperate to hear a message of grace, that are desperate for love, that are desperate for identity. Jesus, our prayer is that as, as our hope is found in you, that we may offer hope to people around us. It's because of Christ we pray.